Well, I intended to start a series of messages last week on the church, different pictures, if you will, or metaphors that are provided in Scripture for us, given to help us to understand and appreciate this marvelous entity that God has created and continues to work in and through. We're going to begin this morning by considering the church as the family of God. And just one verse I'll read to you as we, as we begin this message. Paul in Romans 12 at verse 10 writes, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Years ago, in fact, it was before my wife and I were married, we were involved in a, in a gospel team that we, I don't know, and some other friends started. And we, I remember that we went to a little church in South Minneapolis called Faith Lutheran Church. It was located just south of Lake Street on 17th Avenue. Uh, it has since merged with Rosedale, and now they call what was Rosedale Lutheran Church in South Minneapolis Faith Lutheran Church. But I was... I remember doing that that concert, and I had an opportunity that night to share a short message. And uh, I don't know how long it was afterwards, a couple of weeks maybe at the very most. I got a letter in the mail from Faith Lutheran Church, opened it up, and it was a letter of call, not to become the pastor of the congregation, but to become a high school teacher. And I'd never, ever received a letter of call before. And I'll tell you, that, that made an impact on me as I, as I considered that I was actually being called by a congregation that I'd only been in once, and I was called to come and to teach their junior and senior high class. Well, I believe the Lord led me to accept that call. And that, that year of teaching... Um, I still have such fond memories of that, of, of the kids that came to the class, of the, of, of, of the growth that, that we saw begin in some of the lives there. Jeannie and I got married that fall, and I remember we even had, I think a couple of different times, we had that group come over to our house, and we had a meal, and we would have activities. And, and it just, that year was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And then at the end of that year, the elderly lady who had been the superintendent since just after Noah came up to me and she said, Gary, we need you to become Sunday school superintendent. She said, physically, I'm just not able to carry it on anymore. And, and, and uh, from my perspective, she really put the pressure on. And I... I, I reacted negatively to that. I made it a matter of prayer, and I did accept the position, but at, at the same time, I, I did it kind of against my will, um, because I really wanted to continue teaching, and you couldn't, being superintendent was a, was a job that, that uh, required you to be involved during Sunday morning so that I couldn't teach any longer. I developed a bad attitude. It impacted my wife. And a few years later, when our firstborn 
came into the world, Julia. I can remember when she was, I don't know, maybe two or three years old. And uh, I figured this is the best excuse ever to get out of here. And so we were going to announce that that because it was such a long drive for us, I mean, we lived way up in Robbinsdale, that, and, and our daughter didn't know anybody in our neighborhood or, you know, and so we thought, we're going to resign here and, and we're going to find a church closer to home. And, and poor Julia, she was, <laughs> she was the scapegoat. She wasn't even old enough to understand how I was using her. <laughs> well, we made a date certain in which we were going to announce our resignation and, and share our excuses for why we were leaving. And then the pastor beat us to it. And he announced his resignation. He had accepted a call to another congregation. Jeannie and I looked at each other and we didn't even have to say anything. We both realized, oh, we can't, we can't leave right now. We're going to have to stay on for a little while. And, and I remember beginning to really think about how my attitude had soured toward that congregation, toward people in that church. And uh, began to lay it before the Lord. And, and he, um, he changed my heart. And we began to just pour ourselves into the, to the, the congregation. And uh, as we decided to make the best of things, what a difference it made in our lives. For the first time in my life, I came to recognize and appreciate the church as family. That I had brothers and sisters there, and that as I worked at it, as I gave myself to it, as I shared with them the experiences in that congregation, I began to see them as brothers and sisters. And you know what? That really shouldn't have surprised me. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but the word brother or brothers or brethren occurs over 230 times in the New Testament. Were you aware of that? That's a lot of times. And it ought to help us to recognize then that the church is family, that the church isn't about organization. It isn't about so much what we do as it is about relationships with each other. First and foremost, personal relationship with the Lord, but then also developing those relationships with each other. Now, you look at an earthly family, it can give us some insights into what the family of God ought to look like or ought to be like. But unfortunately, not all families are fit models, if you will. And many have a distorted view of what family is all about. I'm so grateful that I grew up in a family where parents loved their kids and were brothers and sisters, even though we fought at times, loved each other. Family ought to be about relationships. It ought to provide us with some very special things as we consider the church as family of God. It is, first of all, a place 
to belong. Because of our relationship, not because of our accomplishments, not because of our potential, but because of our relationship with each other in Jesus Christ. So that we can and should take for, or take seriously the call from Romans 12.10 to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to honor one another above yourselves. Devote, devotion is ardent attachment. Devotion is loyalty to others. Loyal de- Devotion is, is zeal, if you will, in a very positive sense. And this is true not only in the good times and the easy situations, but even through the hard times, through difficulties, through the challenges that, that would, Satan might use to try and tear us apart. God would draw us together. We are blood brothers, aren't we? Not because we have the same parents, but because we have the same Savior. Because Jesus shed his blood to to make us his people. And whoever we are and from wherever we've come, he's brought us together. And in this Congregation, that is true. Do you realize that? That God's gracious work in each and every one of us brings us together to belong to each other. To see each other and to experience each other in relationship that we might recognize we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I need to ask you this morning, as you consider your relationship to this congregation, your relationship to your brothers and sisters, do you promote an atmosphere of belonging? Do you practice an unyielding commitment to your brothers and sisters? Is this a place that you're excited about belonging to, that, that means much to you because you have meaningful relationships with other people? A little boy had been walking for an hour and his journey was only about half completed. The snow was deep. The church was still far away. And he stopped to rest in the doorway and he met a stranger there in that same place. And, and, and the little boy or the man asked, where are you going, son? And the little boy replied, I'm going to Mr. Moody's church. And the stranger asked, why do you walk past all these other churches to go to his church? And the little boy answered, because they really know how to love a fellow down there. Do we know how to love a fellow? Do we? How do we do as a congregation, as a group of individuals called together in Jesus, forgiven our sins, indwelt by his Holy Spirit, given the word and the sacrament to read and to practice? Do we love others? Do you have meaningful relationships 
with others in this congregation. Or do you have a consumer mentality and it is just it's just rampant in the church today. A consumer mentality is you go to church for what you can get. And and if you get something that satisfies you, then you'll put something in the plate, commensurate with what you are receiving. You know what, friends? There is no place in Scripture that justifies a consumer mentality. We go to church because of what we get in Christ Jesus. But we also learn to relate to each other. That we might learn to love each other. That we might learn to care for each other. That we might learn to minister to each other. And make a difference. In Second Peter 1 verses 3 through 9 we read, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given to us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Think of that. You may participate in the divine nature. Now, that does not mean that we're all going to become little Jesuses. It doesn't mean that we're going to become little gods. There are churches that that believe that, but it isn't true. It isn't scriptural. What he means here when he says you may participate in the divine nature is that you may have fellowship with the divine Savior. And we have that opportunity. We have that privilege. And we also have the opportunity then to help others to participate in the divine nature to experience that remarkable fellowship, to grow in a personal relationship with Him and with each other. He goes on and he says, for this reason, in other words, because you have had this opportunity and continue to have it of of being able to fellowship with God and, and, and experience the supernatural, He says, make every effort then to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. Now we don't produce those things, but as we exist in relationship to God, He will work in our lives through word and sacrament to cause us to grow spiritually, to experience these blessings and to enable us then to more effectively share the same with others around us. It's all about relationships in Jesus. Secondly, in the church we find a place to grow, a place to be nurtured, See, we all come into the church on an equal footing. We come as babes. We come just the way people normally come into a family. We bring nothing. We possess life as a gift. 
We are helpless and in need of nurturing, but the place to be nurtured is right here. Right here. To be cared for by each other. In Colossians, we noted the other night, he says, in him you are complete. That word you is not in the singular. It's in the plural. You want to experience completeness in Christ? Come together. Develop that relationship with each other. Commit yourself anew. Because then you can be nurtured and you can help nurture others. It is a place to be nurtured. It's a place, it's a place to mature. There is a security in knowing that you belong, which encourages healthy development, healthy spiritual growth, which encourages us then to be learners and to develop a deeper knowledge and understanding, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. It enables us to take risks, to do things that we're not necessarily comfortable doing, but to realize that in Him, He'll give us the power, the strength, and the commitment to learn and to grow and to do for others. He allows us to be disciplined. I don't know about you, but I never really cared much for discipline. Anybody here love discipline when you were a kid? Or little kids? Do you love it when mom and dad correct you? (laughs) My dad usually corrected me with the open side of his hand. Listen to these words from Hebrews 12, beginning at verse 5. Have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. I don't know that I was so convinced my dad loved me when he disciplined me. And yet I can remember on more than one occasion walking away from him and not being able to do so. Of being drawn to him with such power that I would turn around and run and jump into his arms and he would always accept me. And I could learn and I could grow. And I experienced the family as a place to belong and a place in which I really could grow and be nurtured. He says, if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. That we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness 
and peace for those who've been trained by it. And in this then, we can experience that special security of the church as a place to grow, of a family in which we would be loved enough to cared for and even corrected when need be. In Jude, the first verse, Jude writes, A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James to those who have been called, to those who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Think about that. You ever get a somebody who calls and they've got a wrong number? It happened to me once this week. Have you ever called a wrong number? More than once. Guess what God doesn't do? He never gets a wrong number. When He calls, He knows what He's doing. When He calls, He knows who He's calling. And when He calls, it is specifically for His purpose. And He calls each and every one of us to be brought into relationship with Him. We're loved by God the Father and we're kept by Jesus Christ. He would guard us and again cause us to grow. There was a pine forest that grew for years without suffering any damage from storms. And then a timber company cut all the trees uh, in a 200 foot wide strip through that section of the forest. The magnificent pine tree was left exposed on the west side. It had stood for over 30 years surrounded by other trees. Few pine trees were as straight and perfectly formed. It was a beautiful pine tree. But now it lay on the ground. It had withstood many storms surrounded by the other trees. But after its neighbors were removed, it fell when the rain softened the ground and the winds blew. It could not stand alone. In him, you, all of us, the congregation, the family of God, in him we're complete. We can protect each other. We can grow healthy. We can experience the ultimate security that only God can offer. And he does so through this organization called the church, through that which is truly his family. Thirdly, the church as family becomes a place to bring people home to. Most of us probably remember a favorite home in the neighborhood. Our yard used to be that place in our neighborhood. And we cherish those memories, you know, playing kick the can or football or, or basketball out in the driveway or, or other crazy games that we concocted. But it was wonderful. And our relationships with the other kids in the neighborhood grew strong. And it was nice to be able to invite them to come our, to our house. I remember when Harmon Killebrew was... Um, installed in the, in the, or inducted, I should say, into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was my favorite Minnesota twin, and so I listened to the words of his, of his acceptance speech. And in it, 
he commented on how his family or his yard was, was the yard of choice for the people in his neighborhood. And they would play baseball out in the backyard. And, and you know, they had ruts worn in the base paths. And, and where the bases were, man, it was six inches dug out. You, know, you, you can picture it, can't you? One day, Harmon's mom had just had enough, maybe too much. And when her husband came home, she said, come here, I want to show you something. And she walked out to the backyard with him and she said, look at this. Look at this. These kids are always out here tearing up the yard. Can't even grow grass. You know what Harmon's father said? He told his wife, we're not here to grow yards. We're here to grow kids. Think of it, my friends. How many people don't know that there is a spiritual family to which they can be brought home? How many are unaware that God's love him? And yet, and, and yet even worse, how, how many are convinced that he doesn't? How many are hindered from their fullest development because of their misunderstanding of God? Because of their... Messed up, sinful faithlessness. A young girl had a very poor reputation in the orphanage where she lived. Nothing, it seems, that she did was, was ever right. Everything seemed calculated to annoy not only her teachers and supervisors, but the other children as well. And one day her roommate went and told the matron that she had seen Ruth place a note in the branch of a tree that stood out in the yard. And the matron was immediately delighted because she decided, now I'll have my opportunity to get rid of this troublesome girl. And she rushed out to the tree. She found the note. She read it. Then she hung her head and silently passed the paper to her assistant. The girl had simply written, to whoever finds this, I love you. we can invite people to a home where the word of God is taught, the sacraments rightly administered, where relationships can grow strong and security can become deep and where hope grows and becomes stronger and stronger. When When I talk about all of this, what, what I'm really describing here is that the church is a place to evangelize others, to reach out to them. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 19, we read, Therefore remember that formerly you who are called Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. He says, remember that at that time, You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one man out of two, or one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, aliens, excuse me, but fellow citizens with God's people members of God's household. He himself is our peace who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Do you tear down walls to encourage deeper relationship? Or do you build up the walls that God, by his son's work, has torn down? You need to be honest as you consider this question. Are you a builder or a destroyer? Are you here to build relationships or to keep people out? Or to see people leave because they don't meet your standards? Church's family. And you and I are our brother's keeper. Do you want others to belong to this family or is this more of a private club as far as you're concerned? Or perhaps you're willing that others join, but you're also the attitude that they're going to have to find their own place. <laughs> if you had it to do all over again, would you want to belong to this congregation? Think of the potential because of God. Think of how he can and and desires to change relationships and to draw people together to heal the sick to raise up the brokenhearted and help them know they belong. If this is a place where brothers and sisters are truly devoted to one another, then honoring one another, caring for one another, then this is a place that we would truly desire to bring others to. And if we're genuinely inviting others home, then I think we also want to help them find where they belong. St. Francis of Assisi prayed this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. If there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, 
or to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. My prayer for this congregation, our congregation, is that we might truly see ourselves as family, as members of family, the family, the family of God, made possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that our family might truly become a place to belong to, a place where people can grow and a place where others are invited home regularly. I'm going to close with a prayer and I'm going to close each week as I go through this series with this same prayer. It's a prayer that Bobby Richardson, former second baseman for the New York York Yankees, prayed. He was invited to a a fellowship of Christian athletes banquet and, and this was his invocation. Dear God, your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Let's pray that together. Lord, your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. 